Okay, we are we are in our sixth and final message of our series on making room. So I hope that the Lord is working on all of us. That we're kind of going through a transition in our thinking, in our disposition, in our attitude of how life is beyond us. You know, that the Lord is bigger than just us. Yes. That he is moving on people within our circle and even without or outside of our circle. And that we are now training ourselves to change our disposition, to lift our eyes and look. Look, observe. Open your heart to sense, to feel. Open your mouth to pray, to utter prayers for people, prayers for someone that the Lord is showing you, someone that you happen to meet on a given time. You know, all of those things. So we get to our sixth and our final one of our word, bless. So hopefully we are also having this mindset that we are choosing to be a blessing. Not just get blessed, but to bless other people. And we are blessing people with our prayers. We are blessing people with our attention to them. Yes. Our undivided attention to even want to really want to hear them. And not just hear their words, but hear their heart. Yeah. And to really let our heart be touched with a new sense of care and love. To really sense the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of God that he has for people as he as we hear them. And then, of course, we also get to break bread with them and eat with them. And that is something that is a unique experience. Have you noticed that certain things happen around the meal that yes. really cannot happen any other way? Yeah. How did God do that? But he did it. <laughs> There's something about us coming around a meal and having fellowship, creating that table. And of course, the greatest of all is to be a servant, is to serve them. And to not be above them, but below them in the sense of loving them and wanting to serve them. And that really breaks their heart. I mean, you talk about something that really will break down walls. I'll tell you what will break down walls. is when you start loving people enough that you're willing to serve them. Humble yourself and serve them. That's the ultimate of love. Why? Because that, that is the epitome of the model of Jesus yes. that he did for us. <clears throat> and we got to see last week about even washing our feet. Even when we're a traitor even when our heart is rotten, he still loves us. While we were sinners, yes. still while we were sinners, loved us enough to die for us. Yes. So today though, finally after all of that in our blessing, we get to do this amazing thing. Of, now we get to share our story. And do you, I think we probably 
The devil knows how powerful your testimony is. Yeah. He does. He knows how powerful your story, your bragging about what God has done. Right. Your point. praise and your your you yes. lifting up and glorifying God yeah. and what He's done in your life. And that comes through your story. Yeah. It really is kind of a, the icing on the cake of the blessing as it comes. Because you've already prayed for them, you've listened to them, you've eaten with them, you have served them. And now here comes the impact of your great great story that God has done in your life. So, can we go to the next slide? I think I have that there. I want us to, uh, again, <laughs> read this statement. This kind of encapsulates everything in our blessed series, our Make Room series, that we've read a couple of times. Would you stand? I'm ask you to stand, and let's read this together. Ready? Let's go. Our joy is completed in his mission. Jesus has saved us and calls us into a new way of life to be a blessing to the lost and hurting. We will make room for all people and inspire transformed lives to be followers of Jesus and join his mission to all the world. So today, we're calling this message, Your Testimony Speaks. A testimony is not a testimony, unless it's spoken. Think about that, yeah? I have a testimony. I have a testimony! Well, you do! What is it? Oh, I don't want to do that. Mm. Oh, I have it, and I'm enjoying it. But I'll tell you, when it's uttered, when it comes out, it's powerful. And the disciples understood that. The Apostle John, he got that. That, boy, the disciples understood. When God touched them, when God transformed them, changed their lives, you know what? They could not be silent. They just couldn't be quiet about it. So... John writes about this in 1 John, which is our text this morning, in Your Testimony Speaks. 1 John 1, 1 to 4, in this new revised standard version. Probably haven't seen this version very much. I hadn't seen it very much. I actually had it put on my computer because I hadn't used it very much. But it's good. So here it is for today. It says, we declare to you. Now think about this, the, the author here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John. He's saying, we declare to you what was from the beginning. Say beginning. What was from the beginning. What we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes. What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Talk about experiential, right? He is rehearsing what they as the disciples, with Jesus, this all the way back from the beginning, because Jesus was the word, and we know from John 
that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And they actually then, of course, Jesus became the Word incarnate, became God in the flesh, walked among them, amongst them, and they got to hear Him, they got to touch Him, they got to see Him. I mean, all of the natural senses they experienced. We, did, we don't get to experience that. They got to experience that in flesh. So this is powerful. He's telling the story of what happened to them. He was the word of life. This life was revealed. And we have seen it. And we testify to it. In other words, it's not powerful until you share it. It has no power except maybe to you, but there is, even at that, unless it is fully released, and you share it, you testify it, then it has the power to influence, to make room for other people, for their eyes to be opened, for their heart to be receptive. So he's saying it, we testify, we declare to you, Think of that word declare. We're going to come back to that. We declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Right? You testify, people join you. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. See, sometimes we wonder, where does the joy come from? You know, we talk about this joy of Christianity. Joy of following Jesus. And we've talked about how there is joy in the mission. But you know what the mission is? Is sharing the story. Sorry, I didn't mean to spit on you out there. <laughs> sharing the story. There is something, there is a switch. There is a switch that gets turned on when you start opening your mouth and letting that river that we've talked about in worship all of a sudden, it's flowing out of you. And the story is flowing out of you. And it's personal. And it's not, it's not, it's nobody, nobody can fact check you on what you're saying. Do you realize on a testimony, there is no fact checking. You are the ultimate authority on your story. I can't challenge you. I can't. That's why the testimony is so amazing and powerful. Because you don't even have to know the Bible. You, you don't. It's your story. And the Bible may come out of it. The Word may come out of it. It may align, of course, it's going to align with Scripture because it's the Gospel that changed your life. It's the Gospel message that changed your life. And this is how it translated and, and it, it was expressed through your life. And you get to share it. And it's real and it's powerful. So this is good. 
If you don't know what else to do, sometimes just share your personal story. And believe me, your, your heart will be, man, I, I, hope the, I hope they get this. I hope they receive this. It will grieve me if they don't, but that does not change my story. So he said, we, in this scripture, he says, we declare, we have declared. He mentions that a couple of times. This is a, a powerful word. When you declare, what does it mean? It means to make known formally, to officially and explicitly, publicly declared, to make known as a determination. Like, for example, a judge, he declared the defendant fit to stand trial. Or she was declared the rightful heir to the throne. I know that in the United Kingdom, the new King Charles III, he made some declarations. He declared. He put things in place. He stated it, how it was going to be. So when we share our story, we're making declarations. And that's the way it is. It's in, it's in cement. Acts 4, 17 through verse 20. Listen to what this says. But to keep it from spreading further, they, of course, they were asked, the apostles in the early church, remember they were asked to shut it down. They were asked to be sheltered in place. To shut down. So to keep it from spreading further among the people, they said, the, the uh, officials, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders of that day, they said, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, this name of Jesus. So they called them, and they ordered them not to speak or teach at, all the, na at the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, thank God for Peter and John, they answered them. They pushed back. They said, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So you hear that theme? That's a testimony. When you speak what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have touched, what you have experienced, it's personal. I'm telling you, no one can stop you. So, what do we see from this? The first point we're going to see in this is God, John is saying, God has been at work. He has been at work. God is always working. He's been at work in the beginning and God is actively working now. And Jesus followed that theme when he was doing ministry. In John 5, Jesus said, my father has never stopped working. And that is why I keep on working. So why am I saying all that? Why do I say this? Because keep telling your story. And if you haven't been telling your story, start telling your story. And realize how powerful that is. Especially if you have prefaced it with, you know, the other parts of the blessed. 
You know, you prayed with them, you ate with them, you listened to them, you served them, and now you're pouring out your heart and sharing your testimony. The testimony is powerful. It speaks. So, again, this parallels in 1 John, or in John 1, 1 to 4. I quoted this earlier of how Jesus is the Word. Number two... I want us to take away from this is that God's activity God's working he's always working he's always been working from the very beginning and his activity in the world of course it's real it's authentic it's powerful verse 2 it said this life was revealed we've seen it and we testify to it and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. Think about this. I love what John says is that some people say, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. Jesus found you. Jesus came to you. From the very beginning, God has been pursuing He's always in pursuit. So in our story, in our testimony, know that God has been after you from the very beginning. He's got your number. He's got your name. He's going after you. He came to you. And Jesus just simply invited people to follow him. To follow him. It's really not a hide-and-seek relationship with God. It's really not. He is so there. And he's constantly presenting himself to you. Sometimes we don't see this until after the fact, right? We look back over our life. I've heard this so many times. I hear people that come to the Lord and they, they finally have the same story and testimony that God, Jesus came to me. He revealed himself to me. And I got to see him. I got to feel him. I got to hear him. He touched my life. He changed my life. I have never been the same again. And then you begin to wonder, when did that happen? When did he start? He started from the very beginning. Because we have too much of the Bible that says things like, you were seen and you were known about even before the foundation of the earth. From the very beginning. So, we're going to have a story this morning. We've asked Annie to come and share her testimony, because her testimony speaks. She's going to speak. Yes, you can come. I know. <laughs> and don't, don't, don't worry about her time. We've, we're giving her time. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you all know me, I hope. Um, my name's Annie. I... I'm often found at the Welcome Center or greeting people or making coffee. 
Um, and I was not going to cry as soon as I walked up here. Um, and I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be at this campus. And, and it's a story. It's a, it's a testimony. It was a long road to get here, a really long road. I was married for 19 years. And at the beginning, I really thought it was a fairy tale. It was my happily ever after. He was my Prince Charming. But that was really short-lived. And I won't really talk about all the things that happened during those 19 years because they're really hard and they're really dark. And I am so thankful that God instilled a faith in me from a really small child. Because during those really dark times, my faith in God, in knowing that he was with me, in knowing that he could hear me, that he knew what I was going through, that he was there. He was there with me. He was there when things got so hard that the abuse, that the abuse never ended. It went from morning to night to not sleeping to waking up to the same thing. He was with me when the only way I could make it through the day was to be drinking. I drank all day long because I couldn't get through a day. The verbal abuse the psychological abuse, the physical abuse. And the thing that we don't like to talk about, the sexual abuse. Yes, I was married. Yes, I had a band on my finger. Yes, I made a vow. But that doesn't mean that he still had the right to do some of the things that he did to me. But I had my faith in those darkest nights when all I could feel were the blows of his hands. All I could do was pray. That's all I had. I had God in those moments. Even when I was praying that I wasn't going to make it the next day that it would end there. All I wanted was an end for my daughters and I. An end had to come. I knew it did. And I knew he wasn't going to give up on me. I knew that day would come. I just didn't know how it would come. And sometimes you become so desperate because you know he's listening and the days keep passing, and the months keep passing, and the years keep passing, and you're still in this 
place where you haven't been able to get out, where you haven't been able to escape, where you haven't yet been set, been set free. And desperation sometimes sets in. And at one point, I was so desperate that I took a whole bottle of pills and a whole bottle of Jack Daniels. And I prayed that God would forgive me. And I didn't even think about the consequences of leaving my daughters behind. Because I needed out. I needed out. And the next day when I woke up, I was so angry. I was so angry at God that he had let me live through this. How could he? I got rushed to the hospital. They did all the things that they do for overdoses. And when I finally came to and was really understanding what was happening to me, I was strapped to a bed. And he just had one more story to tell about me being crazy. One more story to justify why, why he was with me all the time. Why this? Why I had bruises? Why, why, why I was the way I was? Because by that time, I was empty. I was no one. I barely felt human anymore because he had taken everything from me. It was a whole other year before God did the impossible. You know, it's funny, we pray for things so hard sometimes, and we know that God is going to fulfill that prayer that we have, that desire that we need. And then when that moment comes, we're not sure. We're not sure. And on July 29th in 2007, We'd gone to the grocery store. We lived out in the country, so the grocery store literally was 30 minutes from us. And we lived in Monterey County, so it was very rural out there. And I had not been allowed to drive for almost two years at that point. He drove me everywhere, including to work. He sat with me, he was always with me. And that particular day was very different, very different. And I had a black eye that was going away, fading. And before we walked out the door, he said, oh, well, when we get back, I'll freshen up that black eye. When he said things like that, those were not threats. Those were not things that may happen. Those were things that were going to happen. He was just letting me know in advance. And when we got to the store, he acted very strange, very different kind of standoffish, not right next to me like he always was. We finished 
shopping. We got back to the car. We were loading it up. Of course, there was another argument that started right as soon as we got to the car. And at one point, he handed me the car key. And in that moment, I was so caught up in all the things that were happening that I didn't even realize that he handed me the car keys. And so we got in the car. I turned it on, pulled out. We turned onto our country road. And he starts in on me about all of the things that he is still going to do to me, all the things I still owe him for, all the punishments that are still due to me. And something happened. Something happened. I finally realized that I could feel the steering wheel under my hands. And when I did, something happened in my head. I had a sudden realization that I couldn't do this anymore. I, I couldn't drive home. I couldn't. And so I started turning the car around on this two-lane road. And I was about halfway through the turn. And he was so busy talking about all the things he was going to do to me that day, over the weekend, the next week, that I was almost all the way through that turn before he realized that I wasn't going straight anymore. And he asked me, yelled at me, what the F are you doing? And I, I simply said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going home. I can't. And he pulled the keys out of the ignition, which meant the car stopped. And because it was a country road and it was a Sunday afternoon, there wasn't a lot of cars on the road. So we started battling for the keys. And there was a car coming off in the distance. And it just kept getting closer and closer. And I kept trying to get those keys back. Like, that car is coming. That car is coming. It has nowhere to go. So he finally gave me the keys. I finally started the car again. I made the rest of the turn. I pulled over on the side of the road. I threw the car in park. I got out. The car passed us and pulled over in front of us. And I just got out of the car. Even left my daughter, who was 12, sitting in the back seat. I just left her. And I got out because I couldn't go home. So I started walking really fast. And the people who stopped in that vehicle, the woman was driving. She was just a little taller than me. And then this big, huge guy gets out of the passenger side. And they're in shorts and tank tops. And I could see bouncing around in the back of their SUV. And they're walking towards me. And they say, whoa, 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 hold on. We're off-duty deputies. What's happening here? And my heart sank. God, this was it. God, is this you? Is this really you? And so they came up to me and started asking what was happening. And I was, at that time, manic. I was just talking and trying to show them and tell them all these things that happened to me in the last 19 years. And they're just looking at me like, uh-oh. 
So he tells her, you stay right here with her. I'm going to go over there. By that time, my ex-husband had already gotten out of the car. He was standing on the passenger side. And he was very calm and very cool. On the other hand, I was not. I was the opposite of that. And as the officer starts approaching him, he's like, she's crazy. She's been drinking all day. Just help me get her in the car. I'll get her home. She's fine. And as the officer approached, he saw that my ex-husband always had a knife on his belt. So he saw that. They were out with their kids. They had no weapons. There was no cell reception where we were at. So he's like, okay, you stay right there. By that time, my daughter had gotten out of the car and found her way to my side. And he came back and said, look, either you're going to get in your car and you're going to go home, or you're going to get in our car and we're going to take you somewhere safe. I'd been praying for this moment, praying for it for years. And I stood there, frozen. My daughter clinging on to me, not knowing what the right thing was. I tried leaving him before. He found me every time. If I left this time and he found me, no one was ever going to see me again. So I stood there. God, is this really you? My daughter's still clinging on to me, and the officer's still looking at me like, your car, and go home. Our car will take you somewhere safe. And my daughter stood in front of me. She's like, Mom. And I was, I was not there. Mom. And finally, she shook me. She's like, Mom. And she saw me come back to her. She said, we can't go home. Because if we do, he's really going to hurt you this time. And she turned to the officer. And she grabbed a hold of his hand. And she said, you have to take us with you. You have to. So they made room in their SUV, and we climbed in. And they took us to Soledad. They called the police. They came and got us. We went to the police station. And you'd think that'd be the end of the story, right? But so many things started to happen after that. We had a sheriff's deputy that came and talked to us because we lived in an unincorporated area. She said, well, what do you want to do? Go home? No, I don't want to go home. She kind of just discounted us. I, I presented like I was crazy because in all actuality, I really was by that time. They put us up in the hotel for a night. The sergeant was able to patrol the area, keep us safe. The next day, we contacted a shelter. 
And we couldn't go to that shelter because they wanted me to have an ID and her birth certificate. I had left and walked away from that car with the clothes that I was wearing and my daughter. And that was it. So we couldn't do that. So I remembered someone that I had worked with a long, long time ago that he didn't know. And I was finally able to get in contact with her. And off we went to Santa Clara County. So many things happened that the devil was tr still trying to get me back to that place. But I finally, we finally were all together. The girls and I, we were in hiding. He was out looking for us. We finally get, got in contact with the authorities in Monterey County. They finally started listening to me. Finally had an investigator who came to investigate and speak with me. He was about to retire that year. That was his last year before he retired. He had never had a DV case before. He'd refused to do them. He'd done all kinds of other investigative cases, but he refused to do DV. But after four hours with me, he said, I'm going to the judge. I'm going to go ask for a warrant. And I'm going to ask for $2 million bail. And when he said that, I just cried. Because that meant he did believe me. He believed all the things that sounded crazy, that sometimes I couldn't even believe were real. He believed it all. And it was a long two years before he finally went to trial. And he did. And he was found guilty of all the charges against him. And he is currently serving four consecutive life terms. And I am free, right? I'm free, but I wasn't free. I wasn't. I was physically free, but the fear still had me so bound. He's behind bars, but the fear didn't stop. I tried going to church. I didn't have any money. I had lost my job, my career. I'd had a career for 27 years. I lost it. I lost my home. I lost my vehicle. The only thing I had were my two daughters. I was free, but that fear had me so bound. Yes, God never failed me. He was still always with me. He had friends and family who took us in. I ended up going to college. And then when I finished community college, my friends and family encouraged me to keep going. I had nothing. I couldn't work. I physically could not work. I'd bounce in and out of church. For a while, all I had was the Bible. Because for years, I couldn't sleep. You turn to the things that you know. And for a while, I turned to all the coping mechanisms that I'd used while I was married to him. 
So for a while, even though I was free, I was drinking all the time. I had a relationship with someone that I had no right having a relationship with at that point. But knowing that God was still there because he was still providing. He was still making sure that we had a roof over our head, that we had food on the table. Was I praying every day? Was I faithful every day? No. But that didn't stop God. The years went on of me just continuing to do this. I went off to college. I got another two degrees. I, I was living the dream, right? My friends were so proud of me, like, you're doing it. You're doing it. Like, look at all these things you've accomplished. Yes, God made it possible for me to accomplish all of these things that I never thought were possible. But I still wasn't free. We lived from place to place to place because we never really had a steady roof over our heads. And without God having those family and friends make those sacrifices so that we could be there without charging us rent, feeding us what we needed, giving us a place where we could lay our head and not be in that fear of where we were going to be tomorrow. God was always there. And he was always talking to me. But what did I do with that? I had been going to the Gateway Campus with a friend of mine. And again, I was like, oh, yes, this, this is it. But I wasn't going every week. And I wasn't praying. And I wasn't living the life. Because I still was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And 10 years later from that day that I left, it was a Sunday afternoon. And I had missed going to church with her. And I was scrolling through YouTube because I needed something. I needed something, and I didn't know what it was. And I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And finally, I found Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. And his sermon that day was, don't waste your angels. And I stopped scrolling because God was talking to me again. Those angels that stopped on that abandoned road had stopped knowing they had kids in the car, not knowing what our situation was, and knowing that they were going to get me somewhere safe. And they did all of those things. And here I was still 10 years later, not giving in, knowing that God was still providing for me. And that day when she got home from church, I said, I'm in. I'm all in. And from that day, I'm not going to say that things have been perfect. That God has taken away all the worry. 
that he has made it that everything has disappeared from my past. But he has washed me clean of so many things. He has put me in a place where he has replaced so many things that I had lost. I own a home. Never did I think that was ever going to happen again. I have my own car. My daughters are doing well. They're both in the service, serving this country. I was at the San Jose campus, just living my life, praising God, really trying to get as much as I could out of church, through Bible studies. And then I got that feeling that I needed to start looking for a home. Not really knowing that I was going to find one, but San Jose was definitely not where I was going to find one. And God led me here. And not only did I find my home, I found my other home. God is always calling. And he never, ever left me. Even when it was really dark. And he still hasn't. And he never will. Whether I'm good or bad, he's still there. He is still there because he loves me. And it doesn't matter who else loves me. He does. And he always will. So for anyone who's listening and thinks they're never going to get out of that situation that they're in, you have to come to a point and surrender and say, I'm in. I'm all in. God, I'm yours. I know you said a little bit to anyone online, but I think this story is so important to go online today. And um, there's probably, I believe there could, the Lord would draw some people to be watching this today and days to come that they would run into this story. And, um, there's people out there experiencing what you've experienced probably in multiple numbers we have no idea that they're trapped they're stuck in a very dark place and they need a miracle they need a miracle and you kept trusting you kept believing in God and that is what you got through what got you through is your faith but speaking to those people that are might be going through something would you speak to them would you share 
what you would say to them and then pray for them. Pray for them in our closing today. For everyone that finds themselves in a situation where they are being controlled and abused and you feel like you are never going to get out or you feel like you're the only one and the shame is overwhelming you and keeping you from reaching out to someone that you trust. You are not alone. You are not. God is always with you. Sometimes we have to really pray to let go of the shame because the shame keeps us in that place of not being able to move forward, of not being able to reach out, of not feeling that power to try to get out and to seek help. Please do. There's no shame. We didn't do it. It wasn't our fault. And it's not yours. So I'm going to pray for everyone who finds themselves in this situation. Dear Lord, touch the hearts of all these people who are hurting. You are with them, Lord. Let them feel you around them. Your loving arms wrap us in the darkest of times, and we are never alone. Give them peace. Let them feel your grace, for they are forgiven. They are forgiven because they have not done anything. Let them feel your grace, Lord. That the name of someone who they can trust, who you are leading them to, that that name pops into their head, Lord. That they all of a sudden know who you are guiding them to. Let them feel peace. Let them know that the faith that they have in you will lead them on the journey out. That that journey out isn't always paved in gold, but that you are standing with us, walking with us, always sending people to walk on that path with us, to get us to that place, Lord, that place where all of a sudden we can be baptized, where we say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. I'm yours. Lord, I know that there are tears shed right now. That you are catching every single one. Bring peace, Lord. Start to make the way. Start to make the way. Soften the hearts of those people who may have been pushed aside, who may feel like 
They don't care about this person anymore. They've given up. Soften hearts, Lord, because we're going to need everybody. We're going to need everybody. I ask this through your son, Jesus Christ. today and uh, you know Annie makes her home Gateway City Church here in Clovis and uh, if you need to reach out you've been we're praying for you but if you need to reach out we're here we're here you can find us here on Clovis Avenue and um, we'd love to pray with you be with you come and join us and uh, this is a family that loves you We'll love you. Just as, <laughs> just as we love Andy so much. Thank you. Well, we can make no improvement on that. God bless you. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.